If you're like me, you enjoy a good story. The podcast is all about amazing stories from amazing individuals. Today's guest is no different. Gary Stotler has a story for the ages, and the depth of that story will touch you in different ways that you probably haven't even imagined. Gary is one of those special people who he bears his soul. He gives you everything. And there's something so unique about that. Something so incredible that it's hard to define, hard to see in humans these days. I'm incredibly, incredibly honored to have had this discussion with Gary. And I think you all will be incredibly honored to hear it the depths of the emotion from someone who's really come back from something amazing. So I look forward to introducing to you an amazing person in Gary Stotler. We are recording. So how are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I'm doing well. I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about your story, which... Um, and we got introduced through Ms. Michelle Zellner, and she just thinks the world of you. She thinks you're like the best dude ever, man. <laughs> that that's so sweet. She's uh, it was kind of a chance meeting, just a hello, and uh, we just ended up talking and then having coffee, and uh, it's it's been a great great connection so far. She's she's so lovely. Do you still talk to her uh, decently, or like here and there? Uh, we text. Uh, let's see, it's it's been a couple days, but yeah, we texted each other the other day. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I want to jump into your story because I think it's an amazing story. So at one point, you were around 400 pounds, correct, or so? That's correct. Yep, I was 400 pounds. Wow. So what was, tell me, what was that like for you? Like, what was kind of your daily, how you felt about it when you were at that point? It was normal. Yeah. I knew that it, I knew it was right. But it was normal. I had been overweight my entire life. And so I just kept getting bigger and bigger and stress of life. And, uh, you know, you don't really realize that you're eating your problems. You don't really realize that you're drinking your problems. You just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And some people have said some things here and there, but, you know, I just blew it off. Um, yeah. Just normal life. And I just, I couldn't, I had no interest in physical exercise. I was always all the time. So, Sounds so different from what I see of you now. I'm like, this guy's running all the time. He looks like a very fit guy. And what was that transition like? What was the moment when you were like, this has to change? Uh, it was, so I got to back you up a little bit before the moment. Um, okay. So I, I was in sales for a long time. And I, I was introduced to this guy named Grant Cardone and he's a sales trainer, was in the automobile business and I was in the automobile business. So I had followed him for a really long time, read all of his books, uh, anything that he did, I followed this guy. Um, in October of 2012, I was in Vegas for a social media conference and I went to a seminar, absolutely lights out. And then I actually went and I met him um, and he gave me 30 seconds of his time. And, you know, I, I'm 6'2". And at this time I was like 380 pounds and he's, I don't know, he's like five, four five, five, but this guy <laughs> had more energy than the room could hold. 
And so he gave me 30 seconds of his time. I was an absolute nobody and he treated me like I was everything in the world to him. Yeah. And then I just, I stood back and I watched him and I watched him interact with people. I watched the energy that I had, that he had. I watched how people wanted to be around him. And I remember specifically sitting there saying, I want to be just like that guy. I want to have that energy. I want everybody to know me. I want to be as intelligent as him. I want to walk into a room and just be able to overtake it uh, just like that. So I actually skipped the rest of the conference that afternoon and went down and I uh, went back to my hotel and I wrote down all of my goals. And I came back and I had the best financial month I'd ever had in the car business. And then life fell apart uh, shortly mm. after that. And so I, I actually gained about 20 pounds in that next uh, three, four months. And so it was four days before my son's fourth birthday that I stepped on the scale at 397 pounds. And I was uh, 28 years old and it scared the shit out of me. I mean, absolutely. I knew I was going to have a heart attack by the time I was 35 if I didn't do something. And I was, I was scared. I was overwhelmed. I had no idea what to do, no idea how to do it. And I just knew that I had to do something. So I walked out of the bathroom and uh, told my wife at the time, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I got to do something because I'm never, ever going to feel like this again. And the most logical thing I could do is walk around the block. And so I walked around the block and I learned, I retaught myself how to eat using portion control and I had a four ounce salsa bowl. And I would just, I would fill up my salsa bowl and I would sit down and I would eat it and I'd go get more food and then I'd sit down and eat it. And what I noticed was I was getting up like five or six or seven or eight times to go get food and something in me clicked. I'm like, do I really need this much food? And (laughs) I wasn't really eating that much, especially compared to what I was used to eating. But what it did was it got me thinking, Hmm. how much food do I actually need? And then another question I asked myself is, when was the last time I was actually hungry? And I looked back in my entire life, I'd never actually been hungry. You eat because it's breakfast time. You eat because it's right. lunch time. You eat because it's snack time. You eat because there's food in front of you. You eat because there are football games on. And that changed everything for me, was just becoming aware of what I was putting in my body and what I was doing with my body. And so it just, I went from, I went from Porsche controlling to eventually eating better food, but more importantly, I went from walking around one block to walking around two to four to eight and just creating that daily habit of eating better and that daily habit of walking around the block. And then that turned into what a mile and then turned in a couple miles. And then you're telling me you started going into like more like five K's and things of that nature. Yeah. So I walked an entire year. Um, it took me about six months to go from one block to walking about five miles a day. And what I would do is, you know, it, sometimes I would go about myself and I would, I was used to reading at the, I had taught myself how to read by that time. And so I was reading self-development and business books. So then I learned, Hey, you know what, I'm going to be out walking. So I might as well throw on an audio book or a podcast or, you know, something that I could learn. So I was getting two things done at once. So I was maximizing my time there. Uh, or my family and I would go on a walk or I'd go play golf for 18 holes um, and just walk. And that that alone was something I'd never been able to do before. Just go out and walk 18 holes. So I was starting to do a lot of these things that I had never been able to do before. And that got me more excited about walking. I started enjoying my life a little bit more. And eventually, uh, my wife at the time, she, she started the Couch to 5K program, which is, you know, you walk and then you start running a little bit. And uh, she, she wore out a path in our backyard. And that really inspired me because 
I could see all of the hard work she was putting in. And I could see how difficult it was. And I could, I could see what she was doing. I was like, I can do that too. And so she really got me thinking. I'm like, you know what? If she can go out and if she can do this, I can do it too. So uh, one morning on one of my walks, I just decided I was going to, I was going to start running. So uh, it was awful. It was miserable. <laughs> uh, uh, I did it. And I cried for two miles, uh, two miles home because it was so difficult and so awful. I wanted to give up. Wow. I, you know, I think it's interesting. Like running is a very interesting thing. I was, I was a collegiate runner and I've had several people on, you know, who've run in the past. And I think it's, it's this interesting, weird therapeutic thing on some level too. It's like when you're not used to it in the beginning, it's, 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 it's just brutal. You know, it breaks you down. You feel like, wow, this is terrible. But as you keep chugging along, just you get really used to it and you just start clipping off mile after mile and you get into the zone for that. So tell me what it was like as you started gaining more mileage to your runs. So I, I started running the same way I started walking. You know, I'd go <laughs> out on my walk and I would I would run one block and then the next day, I you know, I did one block and then I did another another block a little bit later. And it after doing that, it took me about a month and I could uh, run for a mile straight. And I was in Wyoming and it's brutally cold in the winter time. So I, that was when I started going to the, to the rec center and I would get mm -hmm. on the treadmill and I taught myself to run one mile on the treadmill nonstop. And so I would do that one day. And then uh, the next day I would add either a little bit of speed or a little bit of elevation. And I would always add 0.1 miles uh, to my run. And so I just, I got into the habit of just running a mile a day and I would get a little bit longer, a little bit faster, a little bit more elevation. And next thing I know, it went, went from one mile to two miles uh, to on Father's Day, um, 2014, I believe it was, uh, I ran five miles nonstop for the first time ever. And, you know, in, in the moment, it seemed like it took forever to get from <laughs> one block to five miles. But I look back, I'm like, you know, I didn't really take that long. I just, you know, I just, I got really good at running a mile and then I got really good at running two miles and I just built myself up until I just went five miles. I just made a decision one morning. I'm going to go run five miles. And I did it. And I was, I was ecstatic and I couldn't believe that I did it. Oh my gosh. You're like, that I can see the excitement on your face still. Like now you're talking about it and you're pumped about it right now, Gary, talking about it. Yeah. And for everybody who's going to listen, this is a guy who runs like 100 mile runs now. So this is like he's still pumped about the five miles he did. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's something about doing something that you don't know you can do. And I mean, we as humans, we put so many barriers on ourselves. you know, whether it's financial or health or, you know, something like running and we put so many of these barriers on ourselves, And then when we actually break through that mindset and we actually get through there and realize, Hey, I'm good enough for this. It, it unlocks an entire different part of your brain. And then you're like, if I can do this, I wonder what else I can do. And I got into that syndrome, you know, I ran five miles. I'm like, Hey, I wonder what else I can do. And next thing you know, I was signing up for a half marathon. And then I finished a half marathon. I was like, Hey, I wonder if I can run a marathon. I ran a marathon. And then I was like, I literally, after I ran my marathon, I Googled what's longer than a marathon. And it said this thing called an ultra marathon popped up. 
And uh, it said average, you know, average ultra would be a 50K starting out. I was like, 50K. So I put in, you know, how many miles is that? And it's 31 miles. And a month after my first marathon was my 31st birthday. And I was like, you know what? For my birthday, I'm going to go run 30 more miles because why the heck not? And so I, I went to the mountains and I just, I, I ran for 31 miles until, I, until my watch GPS said 31 miles. And then I stopped running. And it was unbelievable that I, like me, of all people in the world, could just go out and do 31 miles. Like I was, my mind was blown. And I, you know, it still to this day, I don't know what, what made me do it or what inspired me to Google that, but I'm so happy I did. Like, I'm so happy that I'm like, I wonder what is next because it opened up again, another part of my brain that I didn't even know was possible. So I imagine while all this was happening, you're losing weight during the course of this. And um, what was that like? What were people saying around you as they saw you starting to transform to not only a, a different mental version of yourself, but the physical version of yourself? That's a great question. So for the first year, I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. I had failed so many times at losing weight. I had... I had lost 20, gained 30, lost 40, gained 50, lost 50, gained 60. And so uh, I, I knew not to tell anybody. Um, I didn't post it on social media. I didn't, I didn't even tell my family. Um, literally, I had like four or five people that knew that my goal was to lose weight. And so it took about a year for somebody to say something. And I just happened, somebody I sold a car to, I ran into them at the grocery store. And they're like, oh my gosh, Gary, you look great. I was like, what do you, like, it didn't even <laughs> dawn. I knew I was losing weight. I'd lost almost a hundred pounds at this point. Yeah. So I knew that I was different, but it didn't even dawn on me that other people would look at me different. And so from that day forward, I started realizing more and more people would say something about my physical, uh, my physical changes. And they would start asking me how I did it. And it was so difficult to explain that I just walked around the block and I just <laughs> ate different types of food and I just ate less food. Uh, so it was, it was so silly. I didn't, I mean, I had never read a book on fitness and health at this point. And so it, I was like, my mind was just absolutely blown that people were seeing me different. And so that was a year into it. And then I started running and then I lost uh, about 70 pounds that second year leading up into my first marathon. And then, I mean, I would walk into people that I had known for years and they didn't, they couldn't even recognize me. I'd walk up and be like, Hey Bob, how's it going? And he would, they would look at me like, who are you? And so that was, that was extremely difficult because I grew up, you know, it was a relatively small town, you know, 20, 25,000 people. And when people didn't recognize me, these, I had known these people for 10, 15 years and they couldn't understand the physical changes that I had made, uh, that it was super hard. And what's really interesting is no one, everybody could see the physical changes, but they had no idea what I had to do mentally to get to that point, to be able to lose the 200 pounds. I had been at this point, I had been reading, reading, uh, books for like five, six, seven years. And I was consuming, you know, at least a book every two weeks, if not a book a week at this point in time. And so, and that was something that nobody ever talks about. That's like, even now uh, people are like, oh yeah, you know, you've lost 200 pounds, you've run hundred miles. How did you do it? And when I tell them that I started reading, they're like, what do you mean? Like, what kind of exercise, what kind of, what kind of diet are you on? 
I'm like, well, I'm on a mental diet of getting better. <laughs> and like, that was what spurred everything. And that's the point that everybody forgets is there's so much mindset change. There's so much education change. There's so many uh, behavioral changes, uh, sociological changes, cultural changes. They most people don't think about all of those things. They're like, what diet can I buy? What pill can I buy? What gym can I join? You know, what exercise program can I, can I get on? It's never, what book should I buy? What coach should I hire? You know, who should I talk to? It's, we, we get all of these things confused because the mind, you can't see the changes in the mind. Yeah. You can see the changes in the body. And what's interesting is when I am being in the fitness field is, you know, when I work with people, you know, they come and everybody wants to lose weight or they want this thing to happen so quickly. And I'm like, are, are you really ready, though? I'm like, are you? I'm not sure if you're ready. And it, it blows their mind because they're like, well, don't you just want to work with me? And I'm just like, there, there's a there's psychosocial aspect to this. Like, tell me why you want to do this. If they can't explain it to me, I'm like, I'm not sure you're ready for this. And I think that's that's the hard part is they just see Gary Stodler. He lost 200 pounds, whatever. I want that. Okay, mm -hmm. well, you know, it's not glamorous. It's not exciting. It's walking around the block and <laughs> starting out, <laughs> you know? So take me through a little, some, as you're, cause I'm thinking like, I saw the before and after picture of you and I'm like, that's a different dude. I mean, I was definitely a different looking person. So I imagine like when these people see you, the shape of your face is different, your whole being's different. I could see how people were confused about like, that's scary. <laughs> you know, like yeah. what were the other changes like personally that were going on as well during that time? Oh, uh, this is about to get deep. So bear with me. Let's do it. Um, I, I lost all of my friends because I was, I was the fat guy. I was the drunk guy. I, you know, I would go out, I would party. I had zero identity of my own. And so when you're, when you're insecure, you're, or when you're overweight, you're genuinely insecure. When you're insecure, you, you're looking every, all human wants, uh, all human beings want is love and attention. So you're willing to change who you are based on the love and attention that you think that you'll receive from other people. So I was fitting in these groups. I was, I was a drunk because that's, you know, everybody loved drunk Gary. Um, and, you know, I ate food because, you know, food is love in the United States. So we all gather for Thanksgiving. We gather for Christmas. We gather for football games. And so, you know, you, what do you eat at, you know, Super Bowl time? You eat hot wings, you drink beer, you eat pizza. And we all know that this stuff isn't the best for us, but it's our culture. It's what we do. It's who we're surrounded with. So when you no when you're no longer that person, because you, I mean, to lose 200 pounds, you have to become a different person to run a marathon, you become a different person. And so that's the stuff that people can see. But what they don't see is when I'm around nachos, my first instinct is to eat. I mean, it's been six and a half years. I still want to eat a pile of nachos, yeah. you know, 10 feet high. I still want to sit down and eat the large pizza. Um, I haven't drank in over two years. When I see a certain whiskey, I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? That yeah. looks pretty good. It does. Like, you know, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't want the effects of it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I have many reasons why I don't drink now, but when I, when, that's a trigger and that's a habit. And so people don't see those habits. They don't see those triggers. And all they're like is, 
you know what, Gary doesn't like us anymore because he doesn't want to hang around and eat pizza and he doesn't want to, you know, hang out and drink beer anymore. Um, I used to have some golfing buddies that were, I mean, they were pretty rude because I used to golf every Sunday morning. And when I started mm-hmm. running, you know, I would go for a run on Sunday morning. And unfortunately, I had to choose between golf and uh, running. And they usually drank when they were golfing. And so I was like, it, that was an easier separation for me. Uh, but they, I mean, they were ruthless. They used to say, mm. you know, like all sorts of stuff, but they were losing a friend just as much as I was losing a friend. And there was also some jealousy in there because, you know, that group of guys was fairly overweight. And so, you know, they see somebody doing something that they would like to do and, you know, they don't understand it. And they're like, you know what, we, we either want our friend back or we don't want you to be part of the group anymore. Mm. So um, that was a huge struggle. I lost a big group of friends, uh, which was okay in a, in a small aspect because I got a new group of friends that I was more socially aligned with um, until I changed again. And then I lost my group of friends again. At this point in time, I lost this group of friends. And, uh, you know, because I was changing so fast, uh, my wife was also changing, but she was changing in a different direction. And so there was a natural separation that we didn't notice on a day-to-day basis. And so next thing you know, you wake up and you're, I mean, you're roommates with your spouse. You have no idea who they are. They have no idea who you are. And, you know, like Nikki and I were together from 16 until we were in our thirties. And so that's a long time to be with somebody. And then all of a sudden you just wake up and you, you don't understand each other. And to be honest, I didn't understand who I was. I was, you know, I hadn't even done a lot of the self-reflection stuff at that point in time that I've, that I've been able to do now uh, with some specific help, but you know, you just wake up and you just don't know, you don't know who you are. You don't know who your family is. You don't know who your friends are and they can't see everything that's changed inside of you because they can barely understand the changes that have happened on the outside of you. So that was, that was super difficult. And I like to tell people, you know, honestly, losing 200 pounds and running hundred miles has been the easiest part of this journey. Um, trying to get other people to understand who I am and try to understand what I've been through to get where I am is the most difficult thing that I do every single day. Uh, if I'm coaching people or if I'm helping people get started or whatever, you know, even just telling my own story, the hardest part is getting people to see the inside what's happened between the five inches between my ears. Um, not what's happened to me physically. Do you think that part of the, you know, the loss of friends and things in your personal life is that it felt so extreme for the people around you that it was very difficult for them to wrap their mind around how quickly this was happening. You know, a lot of times people change, but it's when they do change is very gradual. It's kind of a happens over along. This seems just what I'm hearing felt pretty quick in on some ways. And maybe they had a hard, you felt they had just a hard time adjusting and that like your friends were overweight, they probably they probably maybe felt insecure that you were changing and becoming maybe something they wanted to do, but they just didn't do it themselves. You know, you you hit uh, two really important pieces there. It it was super fast, like day to day. When you when you live this stuff day to day, you're like, God, this is taking forever. Mm-hmm. Like, am I ever am I ever gonna see the scale go down? Or you know, I ate perfect yesterday and the scale went up two pounds. Or you know, do I really have to go out for my walk today? Or you know, can I just eat a large pizza this one time? And you go through all of these things day after day after day, and so literally, you just you get the crap beat out of you. And then next thing you know, you wake up and everything's different. 
And so, yes, it was hard for people. To, it was a very extreme change uh, for the people I was surrounded with and for myself, honestly. But there was a lot of jealousy, a lot of insecurity yeah. with the people I was surrounded with because, you know, I was surrounded with a lot of people that were overweight or obese or struggling with struggling with all sorts of things, whether it was yeah. you know, food, alcohol or, um, you know, I don't want to call it laziness, but in there's a better word for it. A, uh, not, not moving for some yeah, reason. Yeah, it's just some inertia way. here. You know, they're just yeah. kind of just they're in the status quo, right? I mean. Yep, exactly. They're, they're fine. As, as I'm, fine. I, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah. fine. I'm okay. Like, I'm, good. I'm not good. I'm not bad. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just fine. I'm just yeah. fine. I'm numb. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. And, you know, I, if, I, if I could go back now with the knowledge that I have that I've gained, I could go back and I could, I could have set those relationships up, relationships up uh, for success a lot better, but I didn't know any better. I was, I literally had to be so focused on what I was doing day in, day out. And as selfish as this is going to sound, like I had to focus on getting out the door that, that day. I had to focus on what I was going to eat or what I, what I wasn't going to eat. So I didn't really have time or energy to think about how this was going to affect everybody else. I just didn't want to die. That was yeah. my, that was my goal. I did not want to die. And I wanted to make sure that I could see my kids graduate high school. And that was my driving force. That was my why. And when I didn't want to get out of bed, I didn't want to die. Like this, this decision to, to hit my shoes button meant that I could die. Or that I could, you know, I might not see my kids graduate high school or, you know, my kids are, might have to take care of me because I have a heart attack at 35. Um, that, that makes it a heck of a lot easier when you, when you translate, is this piece of pizza going to kill me? Is this missing a walk going to kill me? And so that was what I was ultimately focused on is, you know, what is this one decision going to do for me? or the people closest to me in the future. And so, um, like I said, I, if I could go back and rewrite some of those relationships, it would be phenomenal. I just, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's, it's difficult, but, um, knowing what I know now, I can now help other people rewrite those relationships ahead of time. How would you, well, I think it's kind of two pronged. How would you have done that and knowing what you know now, and how do you do that currently? Oh, that's a great question. So I'm going to go with what I do currently first, and then I'll go back to how I would do that. Um, so right now I make a decision and sometimes it's a ruthless decision, but the, the five people that we're surrounded with are the most important people that, that we need to be around. And so I'm always trying to move my circle forward. And if there's somebody in my circle that, that doesn't belong there, I try, I'll do anything that I can to pick them up, to pull them along, to, to build them up. Um, but if they're not willing to build themselves, cause I can't make the change. Like you can't right. make the change for me. I can't make the change for you. Uh, if they're not willing to put in the work, if I can't disrupt their thought pattern, if I can't disrupt their status quo, then unfortunately I have to move on. Um, but now I know to, now I can see everything ahead of time to where, is this person going to be good for me in the future? And another question is, am I going to be good for them in the future? Because mm. if I'm not going to be good for them, I, they deserve better. 
I mean, at this point in time, if they need to move forward and I'm holding them back, then then they got to go. They have to be free. So being aware of the people you're surrounded with is is much more important. Um, and knowing that and knowing who you're surrounded with. Also, something else that has helped me is I used to look for attention and love anywhere that I could possibly get it. So I was always looking for external motivation. I would post all of my runs, um, all of my workouts, because I was looking for that social media attention, right? Like I was so insecure with who I was and what I was doing. I would look for any justification to go out for another run. And to, to be quite frank with you, I ran 100 miles the very first time for the social media for the social media likes for the social media attention. And when I didn't get it, it nearly killed me because that was my only driving force was all of this external motivation. And that, I mean, it, it honestly nearly killed me because I had this vision in my head of what other people were going to think of me and how they were going to like it. And I was going to like, I had this great story and going from 400 pounds to hundred mile finisher in four years, like, as far to my knowledge, no one else has ever done that. And so I was going to be on the cover of runner's world and I was going to be on the cover of this magazine and I was going to write a book and I was going to do this and I was going to do that. Now I know how sad this sounds, but that was the vision in my head. Right. And when I did get all of that stuff, it broke me because I was like, nobody freaking cares <laughs> that I did this. I mean, honestly, nobody actually cares that I did this. All of the people that I wanted to show that made fun of me in high school for being overweight, yeah. they didn't care. All the girls that wouldn't date me because I was fat, they didn't care. Uh, you know, like this, this all sounds so silly coming out of my mouth, but that's why I did it. And yeah. when I didn't get all that stuff, that was when I got into the heavy, heavy drinking and mm -hmm. I got into this depressive state and the sadness and, um, it was, it was awful. Um, but I didn't know how to deal with all this stuff. So my point of telling that story is I had to rewrite my relationship with myself first. Um, and that was, that was something that took a long time. It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of self healing. And so if I could have done that self-healing first, I could have helped save those relationships that were that I ended up losing. But I wasn't secure enough in myself. I hadn't re I hadn't understood why I was doing what I was doing, you know, ultimately to the core. So I didn't I didn't have enough enough self-awareness to be able to have awareness to to help those relationships. So uh, the the direct answer to the question that you asked me, how do you save those relationships is you save the relationship you have with yourself first, and you're aware and you're mindful. And when you're doing these things day to day to day, you are aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, and make sure that you're doing this for self healing reasons, rather than the external motivation. Because if there's one thing I've learned, I'm, I'm going to be around myself. I have to look at myself in the mirror. And if I'm not doing it for the right reasons, nobody else actually cares. Like they don't, I, I wish it was, I wish it was better than that, but they don't. So, uh, heal yourself first. If you heal yourself first, then you can help others around you heal, but you can't pour from an empty cup. And that was exactly what I was trying to do. Uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, about the social media element. And by the way, that was a very honest thing to say. And that's that's the beauty of these types of things is when people come on and they're they don't hold back, they let it rip. And thank you for doing that, by the way, because I, I you know, telling me I'm listening to this. I'm like, man, this is kind of a, a big problem. It's endemic to our society is 
like you mentioned about, man, I did that 100 miler. I'm going to post it. People are going to flock to me. They're like, look at this amazing story. We're inundated with so many things now. I think it's interesting. It's like, why do people post? Why are they doing it? Is it because they really want to help people with their story? Or does their story of helping somebody become the story of like, it's about me, actually? It's really about you fawning over me. So once you started healing yourself, where do we go from there? You start doing, you're doing the, you do the next hundred mile race. You're doing hundred miles race. What's happening? I was wondering this. What's in your mind during a hundred mile race? That's a long time. <laughs> it depends on which one. Uh, Interesting. So that first one that I did, my only, the only thing that got me through was posting, posting my before and after picture with my hundred mile finish, my story, 400 to, you know, a hundred miles, four years, like that, that was my motivation. That's what got me through 29 hours and 22 minutes of running. <laughs> and when I didn't get what I needed, um, so that was in March of 2000, 2017. Um, I was already scheduled to run the Leadville hundred in August of 2017. So between March and August, was an extremely, extremely difficult time for me because I was dealing with not getting the love and attention that I, that I thought I quote unquote deserved. Uh, I was going through a divorce. I was going through, I was looking in the mirror and I had no idea who I was looking at. I didn't understand myself one bit. I had a completely different body in front of me. I had a completely different mind in front of me. I was getting, I was getting the weirdest attention. Um, I was getting it like, when you're 400 pounds, no woman gives a shit about you. Right. Like, they don't. Um, but all of a sudden, you're getting attention, they, right? They can say it's all inside, but let, let's. It's not it. true, Gary. <laughs> but I, I was getting attention. I had like literally, I was getting attention from women that I had no. I didn't even know that they were flirting with me. I mean, <laughs> I, I had no idea. I had. You no weren't used to my, it. No. And so, I mean, I'm getting all this attention. I'm like, well, shit, like is this me? Do I deserve this attention? I'm, I don't deserve this attention. And wait a minute, now I'm a hundred mile finisher. And like, now like I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I couldn't under, I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I would do is stare at myself in the mirror and be like, if you're looking for a high quality zero THC CBD products, palmorganics.com is your place. Go to the show notes and any episode of Dr. D's social network and put in the code Dr. D for 10% off all products. Who is this guy? What, what is going on? I would take pictures of myself. I would, I would look, I, I would ask, ask people like, who am I? And I, I, I could not understand. And because I couldn't understand it literally put me in this depressive state. Like I, I used to have this vision of who I was. I used to have this vision of where I was going and that vision was so different. I couldn't handle the pain. And so I was drinking, I was drinking a, a bottle of fireball and you know, every other day. I mean, I, I knew exactly how much fireball it took to go to sleep at night because mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep without it. And so I would just, wow. I would like, I would get to my, my little old dungy apartment with my twin size bed uh, on the floor. And I would drink that much fireball 20 minutes later, I'd be out and I wake up the next morning and do it all over again. And I spent, I spent four, four months 
like that. And so one day I, I couldn't handle the pain anymore. And I just, I woke up and I wanted to go jump off of a mountain because yeah. it was the only thing that I knew was going to take away the pain. And for some reason, when I woke up to write my suicide note, something came out and I'll never know where it came from. I'll never know why I wrote it, but it gave me just enough hope to get through one more day. And I knew, I knew that was three weeks before my next hundred mile race. And I knew I was not going to receive the attention that I wanted if I finished that race. And that cost me enough pain, you know, let alone getting to the starting line and running 70 miles, drinking three bottles of fireball during the race. But when I, when I finally quit, it was one twenty in the morning at mile 69, 70. Uh, when I quit my whole entire life flashed in front of me and I knew that something wasn't right. Like I had, I had numbed my pain with food for so long. I numbed my pain with running for so long. I numbed my pain with alcohol for so long. I was numb. And I had this goal on my mind for so long and it crushed me. It crushed my heart so much that it woke me up from this abyss of, of numbness, of nothingness. And I remember it was in the middle of the night. It was dark. And my crew came to get me and I was, they were taking me back to the house and I just sat in the back seat and it was almost like I was looking at myself, looking out the, out the window in the darkness, just being like, what the fuck? Yeah. What in the hell? Like, what have you done to yourself? Why are you doing this? And it was the worst, best thing that ever happened to me because I, I was on a, I was on another fast track to death. It just didn't, it wasn't with food this time. It was with alcohol. And the next week I woke up on a Saturday morning and realized I had got hammered that Friday night and I drove my car home and mm. it was up on the curb and I walked out, I saw my car and I was like, you know what? I'm done. Uh, I'm done drinking. I'm done with all of this crap. I don't know. Again, I don't know how I'm going to fix it, but I'm done. That's, yeah. that's the only logical step I could take was not drinking anymore. And so I quit drinking right there on the spot. And I looked at myself in my car, car mirror. And I said, you got to get your shit together. And so, uh, I, I started to seek help. Um, I, I saw, you know, I took, I, it took me a lot of courage to reach out to a counselor therapist, but I started there and I quit drinking and I just started to to do all of this research on finding out who I was and, you know, going through a lot of the psychology books that I had, you know, they'd been on my shelf for however long I started going through. And I would talk to anybody. I would seek out and find anybody that had been through a similar experience as me losing a lot of weight, running a hundred miles, um, alcohol abuse, food abuse, uh, all of that. And I just, you know, slowly, but surely I just, I just found my way. And, uh, I, I quit my job. I went to a different job and, uh, actually it's really crazy because today we're that job that I, I got hired to, they fired me exactly two years ago today. Wow. And, uh, it was a financial advising job and they, I deserve to get fired, but my boss's final words were, you know what? Running's never going to pay your bills. Hmm. And, uh, 
that that just kind of dawned on me that it was the 11th of december and uh wow so here we are two here years we later, are man right? you know one percent growth every single day from that day and uh running running's paying my bills so uh you know that wow. i guess that's a side story but that's just another that's thing story what one little bitty step every single day will get you anywhere you want to go do you think gary um that you have an addictive behavior to a variety of things. I mean, you, you, you know, just, it's just interesting. You tell me like hundred mile runs, alcohol abuse, food, food abuse. It feels like maybe you, you know, I, I have met many people similar to you in my life. And one thing replaces another thing over time. Do you feel that's you or am I completely off base with that? I love that question. Um, I, do not have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that that actually exists. Okay. I believe we cover problems with external things. So mm-hmm. I had, I had never actually figured out why I was using food. I never, when I got rid of food, running was just the next step. And mm-hmm. I just, I overdid it on running. It, it numbed the pain. And then when running yeah. didn't numb the pain, there was alcohol and it numbed the pain. And then when alcohol didn't work, I was running and drinking and when that didn't work, it woke me up and I realized like, I got to deal with some stuff. And I, I've also figured out that I've had, I've had some other behaviors that have kind of triggered, you know, kind of trailed along that have become, um, pain numbers. And so what I've, what I've figured out, I don't really believe that an addictive personality exists because we're all numbing the pain somehow you know, sex, drugs, gambling, food, running, exercise, uh, whatever it might be, those are all just pain numbers. And until we actually dig into the five inches between our ears and figure out what we're trying to numb and why we're trying to numb it, then we don't have to be addictive anymore. Like then we can go out and we can have, we can have a good relationship with this stuff. Um, Right. I don't, I don't believe that I'm running away from my pain anymore. I, so you'd asked a question a while back, you know, what do you think about in, you know, during a hundred mile race? Yeah. And at first one, I was thinking about, you know, social media, like that second one, I, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just drinking fireball, hoping to get through it. The next one, I was dealing with a lot of my past issues. Um, I ran Leadville again in August and I, I was the very first time I had ever been present during a hundred mile race. I was thinking about the steps I was taking. I was thinking about the food going in my body, the water going in my body. And other than there's about a, there's about a 15 mile section and it was in the middle of the night. And it's exactly where I quit that, quit the race in 2017. As I looked back, that was a section that I, I had numbed myself again. I had numbed myself with blackness and, you know, just there was nothing on my mind. I didn't have any, anything to kill the pain. So I just numbed myself to the point where I just didn't even know I went through that section. And then when I got through that section and I got to the next aid station, I woke up again and I was like, you know, I realized what I had done. And so I was able to finish the race strong. Um, but taking my, putting myself into that moment in time of whatever step I'm taking, whatever I need to be eating, that was the moment that I knew I was no longer running away from my problems. And I was running because I'm an elite athlete. I'm not running because I'm a broken man. So interesting. You know, it makes me think about, you know, I know many people who, I, you know, they have issues with 
food and alcohol and those things. But then I also know a lot of people who don't and who have very healthy relationships with having a cocktail or indulging in pizza here and there, you know. And it just makes me think like, okay, what are, what are the difference between th those people? You know, what, why does one person have a very healthy relationship with these things and they don't abuse it? And other people, they're using it like, like you were saying, you're drinking the fireball. You, you just want to pass out. In your mind, so you're saying, but you feel like they haven't really confronted themselves and why they're doing these things. Is that what you're saying basically about it? Why does somebody have a more healthy relationship versus not? That, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, if you're, if you're running 100 miles because you're an elite athlete and you just like to run 100 miles, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. If you're running 100 miles because, you know, you're trying to escape some sort of pain, you know, you get on top of a mountain and for some reason the pain in your legs is better than dealing with the pain in your head. You know, that's that's not a healthy relationship. Um, I, I eat pizza. I eat ice cream. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have no weird... Uh, I don't have any dietary restrictions, quote unquote. Right. If I want a glass of milk, I'll drink a damn glass of milk. I'll yeah. drink eight ounces instead of 32 ounces. Right, um, right. Now, I could go back to alcohol and I could, if I really truly wanted to, I could yeah. go and have a beer. I could have that glass of whiskey that I want. Yeah. But at this point in time, I feel so good in the morning. I yeah. don't want to screw that up. I mean, right. if I have a piece of pizza – there's mornings where I'm like, okay, like I had two pieces of pizza last night. Right. I don't really feel the greatest, but I'll yeah. get over it. Um, but that just means that I eat pizza like every three months, um, wow. you know, and it's not, I don't beat myself up over it or I don't, you know, if somebody wants to go out with for pizza or ice cream, I'm like, okay, I'll go have one scoop of ice cream. That's cool. Yeah. Um, instead of a 32 ounce milkshake with, you know, all the, <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's how I look at that is I, I, I don't want to live a live a numb life. I don't want to live this life where I can't have any fun or I feel like right. I'm restricted um, by anything. I just know if I walk into a pizza a pizza place, I don't eat, I don't order a large pizza. I go to a pizza by the slice. I have one slice. I'm done. Um, I'll I love nachos by the way. Um, so <laughs> I'll share nachos with somebody, but I don't order a plate by myself because I will eat the whole thing. Like even today. Yeah. When I'm in training, I got to eat four or 5,000 calories a day just to be able to maintain mm -hmm. uh, my body uh, and my health. And so it's difficult when you're like, you know what? I can really, I can eat whatever I want. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I can, yeah. I'm going to burn it off at some point. So I have to be, I still have to be mindful of that, but I'm not going to beat myself up because I'm not perfect. I mean, if yeah. you can give me somebody that's quote unquote perfect with their diet, I'm going to give you somebody that's full of shit. So. <laughs> I totally, they're totally <laughs> full of shit, man. Well, and it's, and also being in the field I'm in, I do see, and as a former runner, collegiate runner, you would see people who were very restrictive with everything. You know, I call it kind of the, the Tupperware folks, you know, it's like everything is in a Tupperware. I cannot deviate from this grilled chicken and rice type of thing. And I always thought this just seems miserable. I mean, it's yeah. just like really, there's no fun. Life should be fun. But I, I'm very much like you. I, I've always been small. Now I've never been overweight, but I've been small. But as as I was growing up, it's something just clicked in my mind. Like I would just crush like pizza after pizza. I love pizza. <laughs> like <laughs> but I don't need a whole pizza anymore. Like if somebody I get pizza, I'm like, okay, I have maybe three slices or something. Like I still want to enjoy it. 
but I don't like excess like in anything. I'm not a big excess. And for me, it's like I can go and I have something. I'm like, oh, that's delicious. That tastes good. And I'm good. I don't crave like to eat a ridiculous amount of it. But I used to when I was a kid, you know, when I was a teenager and in my college years. And I just think over time, it's just learning, reading my education and background going, well, it's like you said, and I think this is really important. Are you actually hungry? That to me is one of the biggest things. Meet yourself and are you hungry actually? I don't think a lot of people know if they're hungry or not. I ask people all the time, when was the last time you were hungry? Right. And so many people look at me dumbfounded. Like, A, I've never even thought of that question. <laughs> B, I can't remember. And one of the very first things that we do, and you know, anybody, I think anybody should do this because I'm, I'm almost seven years out from my, my first day of weight loss. And I still have a sign on my fridge that's, it's a little, it's a little post-it note that says, are you really hungry? Yeah. Are you sure? Is this the best use of your time right now? And it's on my <laughs> cupboard, it's on my fridge. And it's one of the very first things that I do with people, because if you can, if you can get out of that mindset of walking in the house, walking straight to the fridge and grabbing yeah. something you can, that alone could save you a thousand calories a day. Seriously. I mean, it's, it's mindless. It's just, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. So, and I, I know like when I go see my boys in Wyoming, um, the very first thing I do when, cause this is the same house that I lived in when I was 400 pounds. Very first thing I do is go to the fridge. It's a habit. It's a behavior. The trigger is touching the front door. The habit is going to the fridge. And I got, there's times where I got to catch myself. I'm like, yeah. Oh, whoa, 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 dude. Like, you're not hungry. You're not hungry. <laughs> chill out. Chill out. Like this, this is, but it's a real behavior, and I know that I'm not the only one that deals with it. So no, no, and you know, I always found too, like when I'm actually really hungry, the food tastes so much better. Oh man, it's just like, oh, I'm so hungry. I can't wait to eat. You know, it's like, but if you're just like mindlessly filling your mouth, like it's almost like you become numb to the taste of food. You just, it's just, you're just eating. You just, and it doesn't, it's really not, it's not exciting. I love sitting down to a really wonderful meal that's well-made and all the flavors and everything is just bursting. But if I'm just like throwing stuff back, it's like, it's not special to me anymore. But it's like, I always tell people, I'm like, re be hungry. Like really feel like, wow, like I, I'm definitely hungry. I got to eat something, you know, versus like, eh, you know, I'm bored. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw some chips yeah. back, you know, type of thing. Yep, exactly. But you're exactly right. Like the best thing I ever did um, was walking out of my kitchen out the front door. That alone saved me a, th a thousand calories a day. And I'm not joking because I would go straight home. I would crack a beer or a yeah. glass of whiskey and I would I would snack while I was cooking dinner. Right. And I mean, like, so by the t honestly, by the time dinner was done, I'm like, I, I know I'm not hungry, but yeah. you sit down and you're like, I just cooked a dinner. I'm going to sit down and eat it. Um, so it's not, I think so many times and the container thing, I used to be that guy. I mean, yeah. if it's not in the container, I don't eat it. Um, I used to count calories. I used to count macros. I used to count all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but what I realized is it's our behaviors. It's not the cal, like it's not our calories. It's not the okay, so I didn't eat anything. I, I, you know, I saved 500 calories. It's, I took a walk. Okay. Yeah. I burned some calories, but more importantly, I didn't sit there mindlessly. That will save you more calories than counting calories. I guarantee it.
So, you know, it's about these small behavioral triggers, these small behavioral cues that will really ultimately make the difference for you. Um, I think you should eat positive food and I think you should eat it in reasonable mm -hmm. amounts. Uh, and I think you should exercise every day. But that's just a small piece of this. Finding out what are the, you know, being mindful. Um, again, that's one of the most important things. What are you doing right now? And is it getting you closer to your goals? I mean, if you can teach yourself to ask that question any point during the day, you will learn time management. You will learn self-education. You will learn exercise. You will, be, you will just be a better all-around person. Um, but what am I doing now? Is it the best use of my time? And what can I do to get better? So... Yeah, totally agree. It's funny. The food thing is like my daughter, his kids are funny, you know, like I always tell her, I'm like, I want you to listen to your belly and listen to your body. Are you hungry right now? Are you? And she'll go, mm, let me think about it. And I'm teaching her this wisdom of like, don't just get stuff to get it. Like, I really want you to think, am I done eating? Am I hungry right now? And I can see it, it working with her. Eating when she's actually hungry, knowing when you haven't eaten and like if you've gone too long, because sometimes the people, they, they kind of, do, you know, the whole thing with intermittent fasting and stuff. Sometimes people accidentally do that and they don't eat, you know, they're hungry and they keep putting it off. And then they become just ugly people after that. <laughs> they become angry people. <laughs> you know? You're like, please eat something. You're gonna, you're killing me right now. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm trying to teach you to learn that that behavior early. It's like we we like going on cruises, and we're going on one in February, and I'm and I'm like, my wife and I were like, okay, you know, let's eat breakfast when we're hungry, not just because we're getting up and we need to eat, but we're hungry, and if we're gonna eat. We're gonna eat in a smaller bowl here. I'm still going to enjoy the things I like, but I'm not going to get like this massive plate. And I see that's what people do is they take the biggest plate, they pile on as much stuff onto it. And then what's weird is then they waste it. <laughs> so after that, so it's like this vicious cycle of like, I need to eat, but then I'm going to waste it and contribute to the wastefulness of it. It's weird, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, I could probably talk all day on the like the social and cultural aspect of, of overeating. But if you if you think about it, you know, the number one reason I don't like to eat out is because I can't control the portions. Right. You know, like you, right. you go somewhere and I haven't eaten at McDonald's in five years. But just like as an example, I used to go to McDonald's. I would get a super what is it? A super large um, Big Mac meal with the big fries, the big soda. Uh -huh. And one or two or three or four things off the dollar menu. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I was I was worried about still being hungry after the Big Mac and large fries. You were and worried about it, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. I would, but I already had it. Like I already spent the money, so you might as well right. eat it. I mean, it's you got to throw away the wrappers before you get home because you know you can't let anybody know that you had a pre dinner before dinner, and right. so like. Those those are the those are the small things uh, that you got to be aware of. But yeah, it's really the, important. Yeah, I love the small bowl, the small plate. Um, I, I do that when I go somewhere, you know, always, always use the smaller utensils. Always. I'm a big proponent of that. Even when I go out to eat, I refuse to eat at places that have gigantic portion sizes. Like I, my wife's like, you're scouring through looking at these places. I want to see how big this stuff is. I'm like, just grosses me out, honestly. I was like, it's just, it's so big. Like you don't need that much food. 
And so I tend to go and eat more of like your, your small plate type of stuff. Or if I go, my buddies and we go out, let's say yard house or something, we'll all get, we all have a very similar philosophy. We'll all get like a, a appetizer or we'll share mm -hmm. food together type of thing. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this much, it's, you know, you start hanging around with people who are very similar in that mindset. So I totally get the whole friendship thing because, you know, it's weird if you're going out with somebody and they're eating like, a gig like three or four hamburgers you're like dude what's going on here man yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like why exactly <laughs> right yeah well you start questioning yourself and then like i don't know about you but i get uncomfortable around people that are overeating because doing what i do it's almost my job to say something but then there's that cultural aspect of yeah. well it's their life like i can't say anything right, right. so it, it puts me in this weird uncomfortable position of like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I? And then I'm sitting there playing ping pong in my yeah, head instead, instead of having a real conversation with somebody. So um, I, I just like to go go to coffee with people. It's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you want to take me out or something, let's go have coffee. I don't want to go have lunch. I don't want to have dinner. Yeah. Just let's go have coffee. We could. By the way, lunch is lunch is the worst way to have a meeting with somebody because one, the person feels like they can't eat anyways because you're talking to them, and then they feel it's kind of rude that they have this big mouthful of food while you're talking to them. It's just weird. Yeah. And everybody, somebody wants to do a lunch meeting. I'm like it's not in the food. It's just, it's just like, you're going to sit there and your food's going to get cold. Cause you're like, well, when do I eat? When do you eat? When do I talk and stuff? Whole thing. Coffee's much easier for that. Yeah. I come from, from a different point of view. A little bit with that too. <laughs> you do, but I, I but absolutely 100% agree with you though. Uh, it's just yeah, easier. It's like a dinner meeting, dinner meeting. I'm like, okay, I'm hungry. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I want to eat <laughs> during yeah. that time, you know? Yeah. Well, in it's dinner meeting, didn't you, like that? I'm super uncomfortable with those because if it's a like, I get businesses taking me out and asking me questions yeah. all the time, and then they're sitting there like last time. I'm pretty sure the alcohol bill was like 400 bucks. Wow. I mean, we, went, we went to sushi and it was. I mean, like there was so much food for one, and then yeah. like I just couldn't. Believe, I mean, there was probably eight or twelve of us at the table. I couldn't believe like the alcohol going around. I'm like, whoa, yeah. like. I just want my sparkling <laughs> water, man. <laughs> can, can I just have that? So that's, I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's a, but again, it's a cultural, social thing. You know, it's just, it's what people do. And so. It is what people do. And, you know, listen, I think one of the reasons why I love having this podcast is talking to people like yourself and growing myself. Like, you know, I heard somebody talking on a podcast that they felt bad that they like to have, you know, socially drink, but then there's, then there's people who have really tough times with it and they're around them. It's like they feel guilty that they can handle it in a positive relationship. And I think, honestly, I feel that way sometimes. Like if I'm around people that don't drink, I, I still like to drink. But I, again, I like having like a glass of Boulevardier or something like that or a scotch or something. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like this desire to like, let me have like six of those. Like I just, I'm like, man, this tastes good. I just, just like having like the taste, you know, I like how they make it, you know? And sometimes I feel like, am I, should I feel bad that this person doesn't want to have anything, but how do they feel about me drinking in front of them? You know? So I think it's good that, you know, it's interesting to explore that with people, you know? Yeah. And I want to clarify something. I don't like, I'll, I'm around people that drink all the time. 
I have yeah. my, I'll drink a sparkling water with a lime, little dash of cranberry juice so right. that I fit in. Sure. Um, because the worst thing that can happen is being empty handed with a group of <laughs> fun loving people that um, are social and they want to drink. Yeah. Uh, so that doesn't bother me. It's I'm at a business meeting and I mean, like these people are, they're going, going, it, they're going, yeah, yeah they're, they're going they're to going town beyond yeah. uh, like one or two drinks. Yeah. Um, you know, but then again, like socially, all my friends know that I don't drink. I'll go hang out at a bar. I'll drive them all home. Everybody gets yeah, safe. Yeah. No one ever says a word. I never say a word. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's uh, business versus social um, aspect yeah. is what I was looking at. Yeah, definitely. So, Gary, who are you today, right now? Tell me who that guy is. You, you want the honest truth? I want the honest truth. The guy, you looked in the mirror this morning. I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. I'm looking right at you right now. Tell me who you are today. I am a badass motherfucker who doesn't <laughs> take any stuff. And yes, I stole it from Cool Runnings, and I don't even Love care. It. That's who I am. Um, now, that's a little bit of a joke, but it's – I mean, I'm dead, dead serious with that. And the reason I say that is I've gone through a lot of stuff um, in the last six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and uh, – now that I'm dealing with a lot of the issues from my childhood, um, I honestly can't believe that I'm here and um, I'm successful in my own right. Whatever that looks like to me, um, I'm, I'm a successful being. And that I've overcome a lot to get where I am and I'm, I'm 35, I'm just now getting started. And to, to know who I am, to be the person I am, to have the clear head, the clear eyes of who I am uh, today, I, I feel like, I'm the best person I could possibly be right now. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to grow. It doesn't mean anything else. It doesn't mean that I haven't done bad stuff in the future because I have a long laundry list of, of demons from my past. But of all the stuff that I've done, I haven't lived in it. I've overcome it. I've learned from it. I continue to educate myself every day, continue to get better every day. And hopefully someday... Um, somebody will learn something from me and then they can avoid some of those demons that uh, I've created in my own past so that they can take a step beyond where I am today. So um, I'm, I'm just a guy who took a walk around the block, read a book and just got a little bit better every day and just happened to come out, come out in a little bit different situation. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I can, I can tell you um, when this gets shared, uh, to my audience, it's going to make a difference. I promise you, even if it's just one person, it's going to, it's going to blow their mind. I, I am eternally grateful for Michelle Zellner for contacting me to about, about you because man, she was like going nuts about it. She was like, I, you just have to meet Gary. I'm telling you, man, it's <laughs> like, you're going to be blown away. I'm like, I have been blown away. I'm grateful for our conversation. And I know it's going to make a difference. And anybody that comes on and talks about their life in an honest way, people relate to that. People go, I did that too. I was, I was down real low too. And you're going to help bring somebody back. I promise you that. And I hope to be able to tell you about it, whoever that is. And even if you don't hear about it, know it's happening. It's definitely happening out there. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Gary. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Darian. Um, I've, I love doing this kind of thing. And uh, I really do hope that I hope somebody can make a change. Um, that's, that's all I ask is just take that one step, one step forward. I know they will. Thank you for your time. And we'll be in touch, Gary. 
Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Bye, man. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye.